0: So, 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 welcome back to the Zika Health Show. This is weight management expert, Narado Zico Powell, and I have a blockbuster interu- interview, who I can't talk, for you today. It's with Christian Elliott, CEO of True human health. Now, I didn't know much about Christian until we started talking about him coming on the show. And I realized the amazing work that he and his wife do. Because we know here at Zyuka Health Show, we talk about managing your body weight, not by counting calories, but by improving your health. And this is what Christian and his wife do. See, they have helped Thousands of people achieve their health and physique goals. Not tens, not hundreds, thousands of people. This guy has been doing this since 2005. And he's done more than 15,000. Think about that. 15,000 one-on-one coaching sessions with his clients. Sorry, 15,000 hours. Not 15,000 exact. 15,000 hours. That's a lot of time. In addition, he runs a successful blog, it's titled uh, Deconstructing Conventional, which has been featured in Men's Health, HuffPost, CBS, and many other media outlets. So this this is really going to be a fantastic blockbuster episode. So we're going to talk about things like managing stress, um, managing physiological issues, holistic health versus let's say the traditional approaches and a lot more amazing things so with that being said let's welcome christian to the show
1: thank you very much for having me that's quite an introduction
0: you know you, you, you definitely deserve it man you definitely deserve <laughs> it thank Take you care. so much i'm really i'm honored to have you on the show today christian tell tell my audience about about yourself tell them about your practice
1: Okay. Well, yeah. So my wife and I run a, a coaching business. It's a high touch personal coaching business that uh, we named our business true whole human. Cause the idea was we want to be able to step back and address the whole person to be able to see what, is, what are the moving parts of this person's life. And I've been in the health and wellness world long enough to know that if you, most people are trained as specialists within uh, the realm of health. And so we all kind of get in our niches and more or less, whether you're talking the medical or alternative world, it's usually a system of parallel trenches where people rarely pick their head up and look over at the entire landscape of a person's life or health more specifically. And the failure to to look at what else is going on in this person's life? What are the other relevant factors that it would take to move this person forward? Or what are the set of circumstances they find themselves in that are highly relevant to this person changing? And so We've just, over the years, grown from being more specialists to, I guess, what you could call master generalists of trying to understand what does it take to actually create a breakthrough and just to endlessly be fascinated by that question. And so we don't even sell sessions anymore. We just, we help get a sense of what is somebody's outcome? What is it they actually want? What is the life worth living? Where does health fit into that? And then our job is really just to get curious of what would it take to engineer that kind of transformation? And so we just go to work on whatever amount of time it takes to go figure that out, get in the weeds with the, you know, the, the mental, emotional aspect of health, with the contextual aspects of health. And the you know if you have kids or don't have kids, if you're married, if you're not married, those are obviously big boulders. How much are you working? How much are you not working? And when you can see a person's life through the lens of the totality of who they are and where they're trying to go, and sometimes they don't even have an answer to the where they're trying to go, they just know that where they are right now is not where they want to be And they'd like to move to better. When you can look at a person's life through that lens, uh, it's a very different starting point. It's a slow down so we can speed up the process. And people come to us from all across the spectrum of health conditions or challenges or need. And as long as they have the mindset that says, I want to go to work on me, I'm I'm ready to not make this a, a microwave fast journey. I'm interested in becoming a new person. I'm interested in finding out where I've been the bottleneck to my own success. And in figuring out what it would take to build a sustainable, healthy lifestyle so my body has the time and mental space and I have the clarity to change my life in a meaningful way. Once we get somebody in that headspace to start, then, then it's just a matter of time to get them where they want to go. So anyway, that's a um, pretty quick summary of what we do and a long history of, of teasing out that method of helping. But it's the work we're doing today and we love it.
0: And you definitely really good at it um one correction by the way in the beginning i said physiological I actually meant psychological Because uh you you started by talking about you talk about their mindset it's mm-hmm. not about being perfect mm-hmm. a lot of times we get into that state of saying you know what i want to lose 10 pounds i want to lose 15 pounds i want to look this way but we never address the psychological state which is are you looking to make an improvement where are you there that's why in my coaching I made sure that I um I got uh transformation specialist as one of my certifications mm-hmm. because I wanted to learn how to tap into someone's mindset and meet them where they are. Mm-hmm. So that's huge and I love that that's a huge a big part of what you actually do. So the segue then is tell us about your bo- your blog Deconstructing Conventional.
1: Okay, well yeah, so that the title for that really came about um many years ago I wrote a blog post called um his conventional medicine the wizard of oz and it was really just a a, i kind of deconstructed the history of that model of viewing the human body how did we get to the point it sounds barbaric when you put it in terms of what it actually is but how did we get to the point of poisoning and cutting our bodies in order to try to nudge them back toward health and when you realize that you know despite the breadth of fancy testing and the amounts of massive amounts of money that go into all of everything we call conventional medicine today, when you boil it down to the final estimation, there's two tools in the toolbox there's you know, pills and there is surgery. And that's pretty much all you've got. You could say radiation maybe is the third one, but is that that much better than the other two? Like, so we've got drugs and surgery as the two main ways to attempt to heal. Well, in a trauma or an emergency, that makes sense. But that it has taken on this cloak, this luminous garment of scientific knowledge, and said that no, we. We can solve all of our problems with this pill for ill, this surgery to what surgery mostly amounts to is cut out particular body parts that aren't working and throw them in the trash and stitch you back together. And is that the sustainable way we want to build health? But they have this mystique of the ability to transform all of health. And we're going to zoom in with reductionist thinking and find the smallest variable and we're going to turn this enzyme off or we're going to stop that one from functioning and we're going to try to trigger this gene or that enzyme to do something and when you step back and look at it, it uh, my puzzle was we call this conventional this is not con- like through most of history this would have been the outlier example of how you think about health and so that the title for the blog really came from trying to deconstruct the history and the mindset or the philosophy of that way of trying to approach health and the ugly part of the history which ironically is highly relevant today is that that approach norm- largely came in the beginning of the 20th century the early 1900s in particular with the Flexner Report that was funded by Andrew Carnegie and the Rockefellers, which was an attempt basically to shoehorn the rest of the world into a particular petroleum-based pill for an ill model of healthcare that let it be centralized, and that the publishing of the Flexner Report in 1910 then took over the entire U.S. version of health. We had to establish Western medicine as different from Eastern, and so we had our science-based, evidence-based medicine so to speak and with that came the squashing of any type of other modality that has been used or proven throughout history systematically stomping them out so there was no more competition and and putting all this money behind it and calling it conventional that's that's the ugly roots of what we now live with today as so-called conventional medicine and it still is a reductionist cut burn poison type of approach to health when there are so many other things we could be doing to build health. And so to me, that was one thing that was worthy of deconstructed analysis to say, did we make a few wrong turns here? Could we have imagined a better way to build health? What would it mean if we hadn't poo-pooed all other forms of healthcare from homeopathy to chiropractic to acupuncture to all the different bodywork therapies and known ways that the, the plant kingdom can help heal in its natural state what happened to herbalism all the other things that we now are slowly reclaiming at the oppression of the medical establishment um what would how different could healthcare look like or to could health on the planet look like if we had adopted a different model and so now if that, that I've taken that approach of deconstructing things just to the the different ways that I see health the way we have come to understand fitness, the way we have come to understand nutrition, the way we've come to understand COVID, the way we've understood immunology and viruses. And, um, that, so I've, I've just gotten to enjoy ruminating on the topics that are relevant to health that I find fascinating, and trying to do my best to step back and say, well, how in the world did this become the way we exercise? Like, we go inside this room with four walls, and we pick up heavy things and move them around, and then we call that exercise, or we have this politically correct nutrition of so many competing ideas and such a confusing landscape or the government's plot to take down the human race that was the food guide pyramid and think there is industry, there is money, there is politics behind this. And as soon as fitness and politics mix or as soon as health and politics mix or nutrition and politics mix, all you're left with is politics. You're not left with actually the essence of what would it take to get someone healthier and for you specifically, we, we view weight loss as the side effect of getting healthier. Well, what does it look like to, to deconstruct the process of becoming healthier as you move through life or as you recognize the interrelated components of it and we break up with this pill for an ill model this you don't you wouldn't even google best exercises for belly fat because you recognize that's not even a relevant category. It's not a question that would get you anywhere and when you can stop thinking of yourself as a one input equals the opposite output and you can realize there's a synergistic effect to the health habits that you can or should be practicing and there's a level of vitality that is absent that way of thinking as soon as that bubble pops and conventional isn't conventional anymore it's just one option out of many it lets you think in it in a much broader context of how might i approach being well, what does it mean to live a well-lived life? Where does health fit in that puzzle? And so, yeah, that's a little of the backstory or the the method of thinking behind the name of the blog.
0: That is huge though. You just gave me so much impact and I'm not gonna rehash the whole thing, but I wanna highlight some of the big things that uh, that you really mentioned there. One, when it comes to the science behind things, because for some reason, everybody and, and their parents are scientists now. Like, I'm talking to someone about health. And I tell them about, you know, natural ways that because, you know, my story, my asthma, and it's been three Mm -hmm. years. My asthma is way better than it was when I was on medication. Anybody who's been listening to this knows my story. Mm -hmm. If you want to know my story, if you don't know about it, DM me on Instagram, I'll talk about it. But when I tell them, you know, about some natural things that I've done and they'll say, what's the science say behind this? What's the research behind that? And I'm like, I'm sorry, I didn't I, I, I didn't know you were a scientist right? Because you can find science to back up or disprove anything. You can find mm-hmm. science to back up the food pyramid, which of course we know has caused so many health problems that I'm not even going to get into in the, in the, this episode. You can find science to say honey nut Cheerios is good for you, unfortunately, like crazy <laughs> stuff like that, right? right, right. So th- that's why in my practice for my clients, I take a three-sided approach. Scientific studies, anecdotal evidence, along with ancestral living. I look at, if I can find a sign and say, okay, this is why this happens. Okay, that's one thing. Then I look at what did our ancestors do before that? Was this an ancestral practice? Because they figured out a lot of things naturally that we never really, that we don't know. Or somehow we're acting like we know it now. And then three is, how does it make me feel? Human beings are animals. If you eat something and you feel like hell, that's a that may be a sign something is wrong with what you ate if you drink alcohol you, you know you get i don't say that i don't drink at all but if you drink and you're hung over the next day that's a sign of what you just done to your body that's a symptom of what's happening so how does it make you feel right so we got to be able to get to that point that we can combine all three and that's how intuitive eating even starts to happen because now you combine that three and your your body's like you're eating well you're feeling better, you're moving better, those non-scale victories that we talk about, that's the anecdotal piece. So that's really important. The other thing I want to talk about too is this whole, the psychological piece, so the pill for the ill. Because mm-hmm. I've talked to people that say, well, you know, if you do, if you tell somebody to work out, they're not going to do it, but you give them a pill, it will fix it. Well, that's some there are some people who are like that, that's true. But to just make that general assumption that most people are like that, how can you do so? Because if you've been teaching somebody for 20, 30 years, if you go, if you're sick, go to the doctor, get him, get a pill, you'll feel better. Mm-hmm. Teaching them something in a week is not going to change that. It takes mm-hmm. time to deconstruct the conventional, mm-hmm. deconstruct the traditional things that we've been doing,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but are not the optimal things that we've been doing. And ladies and gentlemen, this is why I have the gentleman Christian Elliott on the show, because we're going to get into a lot more.
1: Yeah, well, I guess, yeah, to piggyback on that, similar to the way the conventional medicine, what we call today, got its start, uh, so did psychiatric medication. If you go back and you look at the history of psychiatric, psychiatric medication, there's a fantastic book called The Anatomy of an Epidemic by Robert Whitaker, and he looks at the entire history, all the studies, everything you can find in every journal tucked away in some obscure university, and he maps out how this, quote-unquote, science matured into what it is, if you can use the word matured, grew into what it is. And so much of it was a a similar mindset of there's, okay, if psychiatry can step into the realm of being a scientific uh, discipline, then they can have reputation and they can have stature. And so to do that, they needed identifiable illnesses and a pill that could treat the illness. And so the whole model was built around, if we can name someone's amorphous collection of symptoms that you can't test on a blood test, and we can call it something, and then we can try our different diazepines and beta blocker and our SSRIs and the different medications that they've come up with and demonstrate some sort of um, efficacy, then we can have the, that we can also wear the luminous garment of, um, of being scientific and medical. And so understanding that the, it, if you think that regular medicine is corrupt, know that the same same thing fits in psychiatry. And we had to tell people, we had to nudge them along the idea that, well, you're not really, it's not that life's hard and you should talk it out and you should find some community and some exercise and get outside and do all the things we know to do. It's that you have this chemical imbalance, this deficiency, this defective part of the way your brain or psychology is wired. And so we as the scientific body can come and bless you with this chemical that interrupts your cognitive function or your gut wiring, and we can make you feel different. Can they make us feel different? Yes, they can. Uh, They have the ability to manipulate our um, moods with their chemicals. But if you read that book I just mentioned by Robert Whitaker, The Anatomy of an Epidemic, and you'll see here is the logical outcome of that way of thinking about the human experience, of putting people on medications. And we haven't done anything to actually not need the industry. All we've done is get more and more kids on it, more and more diagnosis, more and more adults are now under the, I would call it oppression of psychiatric medication. So if if you're on those, or if you're thinking about them, that may sound somewhat offensive, or you may think like, no, but I need these. These are my binky. I don't take away the thing that has got me out of the pit of despair. And in reality, if you can step back and recognize that um, maybe there was a different way to approach this, and maybe there's a difference between um, numb and not sad and feeling the ups and downs of letting yourself go through value, but giving yourself the opportunity to experience the high. What I've found with a lot of people on the medications in particular is they don't have uh, a, a comfort level of experiencing swings of emotion because the bottom was so bad of whatever it was what took them down to feel that life was hard and they needed something to just help them get through the day. And it got them up to a level of like capable or functional But it robbed them of the ability to feel the wind in their sails of purpose or of hope or of pleasure, and they just kind of become numb and flat. And it's hard to go through a weight loss journey in particular, never mind that they often cause weight gain. But it's hard to go through any sort of health transformation when you just kind of have this ho-hum feeling about life. And yes, it's not as bad as the depths, but it's also you don't get to experience the highs. The the bummer is they're very difficult to get off of and you need to, you have have to play the long game to do it. But so whether we're talking conventional medicine or whether we're just talking, what is it, what would it look like if we just did a thought experiment and went with a completely different model where that wasn't a viable option for how to, like when you're you're old enough today, when you were a kid, there wasn't the ADHD or ADD wasn't wasn't a thing. You couldn't pick that as a problem that you have and identify it. And you just you were just a kid who was acting like a kid. And sometimes got ornery because maybe you needed a hug, maybe you were thirsty, maybe you needed to run around like a Labrador retriever and just get the energy out. Maybe nobody was listening to you and you were frustrated. And sometimes it's in the exploration of those kinds of things where you find the traction to say, What? This is hard, but there's hope. There is a floor to look up from and to see the context of where I am and I can climb out of this hole, and I can find community, and I can find better nutrition, and we can deal with the things that are actually creating the problem, instead of accepting the easy way out that says, well, I I just have a chemical imbalance, and so I take this pill to balance it. Do you? Or is it that maybe there's so much more life to live, and if we found reasons that why life can be so precious, and why striving is worth it, we could get past some of this Am I going to say never use one? If it was me, I would never use one. It, can I say that blanketly for every person? No, but I can tell you it's such a small use case and they're really hard to get off of. Maybe if we could zoom out and say, what would make the, this life worth it? Why do you feel this way to begin with? And start to peel back the layers of the onions of what are the stories you have told yourself for a really long time? What are the thoughts that run through your head? Are they kind? Would you say them out loud to a five-year-old? What are the stress responses and avoidance patterns? And ruts that you get stuck in in your thinking where you say it always goes this way it never works out I can't do this I'm not a morning person I don't like eggs whatever the thing is and you just be you've got you're so ingrained in a rut or you've accepted things without questioning like really you, you're you not a morning person meaning it's black and white you absolutely could not get up early like if this was the you had to get up early for the flight for your favorite vacation you couldn't get up early. okay so you can't like to divorce yourself from absolute thinking of black and white, it is what it is, and just say, maybe I could question this. What if life could change, and what would it look like? What would have to be different about how I go through my day or how I see myself in this world or where I find my hope, where I find my joy? If I could start to answer some of those questions, I bet you we could find that, you know what, this little chemical anchor that you're dragging with you, that's actually not serving you, and there's a, there's a beautiful life to be lived without it. So whether it's weight loss, whether it is any sort of body or health transformation, if we ignore the mental part of this puzzle and don't deal with the raw emotions of, I don't feel seen, I don't feel heard, I don't feel validated, I feel underappreciated, I feel insignificant, I might have imposter syndrome, and I don't want to be found out that I'm not good enough if I try hard. Those are actually the fears. And if we can actually soberly, honestly address them in a psychologically safe space, my gosh, the transformations that we could experience are profound. So that's a, I guess, a rambling answer to your question about the psychological element of change. But it is so important to make sure that that's not, like so many people in the health realm want to do oh, the emotion stuff. Like just do your exercises or just, you know, eat you, do you just eat this way? Like what's people's problem? Why can't they just follow? Like, yeah, because they're, they're thinking and their emotions are in the way. There's something that doesn't feel like it matters. To them. And if you can't get to the roots of that, it's gonna be really hard to help the person change. If we can though, the sky's the limit in terms of what people are able to do. Humans are amazing and continue to be so. They continue to impress me with what they're able to do when we deal with the mind and emotions as a big part of the puzzle. And you're that was a
0: lot, but that was very important. Anyone listening to this show in an earshot of this show, go back and listen to that second section. Cause that's huge. Right now, as we're recording this show, I have my TV on in the background. I always do it. And it's on Disney Channel. And I'm watching um, Big City Greens, my favorite cartoon on Disney Channel. And I would tell anybody, when they call me, it's like, what are you doing? They, if it's a, it's a weekday and I'm working on the computer, I have Disney Channel on the background. I've had people come in here, work on my, work on my place. And they say, are you watching cartoons? I'm like, I am watching cartoons. Because I had an amazing childhood and it, certain things that I watch remind me of that childhood. But what's also huge for me, it helps me to stay in that moment. I'm, I'm enjoying myself when I'm watching it. I'm enjoying that particular moment. That's why I used to also celebrate small wins because I can be in that moment. Something as small as I launched my podcast when I first launched it, that was a huge thing for me. And I enjoyed that moment. You know, sometimes I'll tell someone, they say, you can do this. You can try that. Let's do this. I'm like, no, I'm not strategizing right now. I'm not thinking about the future. I'm enjoying my moment. And a lot of us cannot enjoy our moments because of everything that you just explained. So I'm glad that you gave us that really detailed answer because it ties into the fact that we always, a lot of times we think there is something to fix. When it a lot of it just comes down to the fact that we instead of trying to fix it, just enjoy your moments and enjoy who you are. I'm not very very simplistic there because you gave the long answer, but that's also really huge. And with that to segue to kind of bridge over a little bit more because with stress is a huge part of our environment. Stress in so many ways: physical stress, um, psychological stress. You know, in fact, when we wake up in the mornings and I read something years ago that really woke me up, that the average American is exposed to about five to six stressors within the first hour of their day. And I've talked about it many times on my show. And then we wonder why we're always feeling on the go. We always feel like we're on edge, right? And then it impacts our health, impacts, impacts our body weight, so on and so forth. But I want your answer to this. How does physiological and psychological what happens to us physiologically and psychologically when we're stressed
1: oh there's, there's a lot that goes on. i'm just you know biochemically one of the, the responses the body makes is that it produces a hormone called cortisol which is just a, a hormone that helps us respond to stress and the, you know one of the downsides or, or the bummers of that is it tells your your body to store body fat it tells it to hold on to resources because there's there's a perceived crisis and we don't know when we're going to need this so just pack some some belly fat on and so, whether we're talking the biochemical aspect of it, or whether we're just talking about the the reality of the weightiness that we feel on our shoulders, or in our gut, or on our in our head, or whatever stress, there, there's a couple different ways you could think about it. One would be the the known stressors. What are the things that are actually stressing you out? And sometimes you know the quick answer is I'm just busy. Like that, well, everyone's busy. So help me get more specific here. What what are you so busy with? And why does it stress you out that you have this busyness in, on your plate? When usually it comes back to things that are, to your point, psychological. It's the, I feel like I'm failing at being a mom. I feel like I'm not good enough at work. I feel like everywhere I turn myself, I'm not doing a good enough job. And the fact that there's so many things on me and that my days come at me hard and I feel like I don't get 10 minutes to myself, or I feel like I just, all I want to do at the end of the day is stay up late. And scroll on social media, watch Netflix, whatever. It's, there's, a, there's a play deficiency that does not counterbalance the volume of work that you have to do. But if there is a, a surge recover, a work rest balance that you have with your day, which if you're a parent of young kids like I am, feels like sometimes that's a hard thing to get to, right? There's always some other thing you could be doing. And so part of the antidote for stress is just figuring out what the known stressors are. What are the things that are able to make claims on my time that can then make it so that I feel this emotional friction of being spread too thin and not able to do enough, and sometimes the ability to step back and say, why do I have so many things on my plate? Did I, Do I need to be doing all of these things, and what would it look like to have a different life, to say no to more things, to have a better boundary with people in this area, to parent myself and put myself to bed on time and actually get up earlier? Like, what would have to change? And that often it's it's in the looking at the known stressors that we not too far behind start to identify the unknown stressors, the things that are actually the trigger, the emotions that are driving this feeling of stress, of inadequacy, of insignificance, of boredom, of lack of meaning or of um, lack of connection. And and those are actually there's anywhere there is unmet emotional need that reverberates through the human soul. There's only a dozen or so major needs that we all legitimately have, that nobody's going to be like, eh, I don't really want that one, right? Love, adventure, romance, significance, dignity, autonomy, mastery, purposes, etc., right? All of us are going to say, yeah, those are, those are things I actually want, health, right? And when you can step back and recognize that stress or the friction, the frustration, the discontentment that we often feel comes from one of those or more of those feeling unmet, it just feels like I don't matter, I'm not heard, I'm whatever that um trigger is that creates its own frenetic energy of stress and as we're able to one clarify i'm actually this is something the bully from high school said to me that i've always believed about myself and when something happens at work when my kids do this it triggers that same story i have told myself for a long time and i get myself all lathered up with this negative emotion and we have and if you rewind it you're looking for the the subconscious or the um Lesser identified stressors that really do irritate us that eat at us when you can step back and and recognize there's known stressors and then there be because there's known ones and because something isn't going the way I'm wanting it to go, that's evidence that there is an unmet emotional need that's below the surface, and your ability to get fascinated by that and say, Huh, why do I feel this way like what is life- why am I letting life trigger me in this particular way and to your point about happiness and enjoying your cartoon there's there's a reality that you can't be happy in the future you can be happy now or not happy, but you can't like save it up and use it in the future because I know happiness comes in the, it's a, it's a moment by moment choice and the ability to get out of bed and protect your inputs to go wait I'm not going to go straight to my inbox I'm not going to go straight to the news I'm not going to go straight to social media I'm going to have white space I'm going to have Something that fills my head with, or my mind, my consciousness with joy, that could be a sunrise, that could be music, that could be some uplifting scripture you're reading or whatever, it's something that calibrates your compass heading for the day and sets you on solid footing. And then to be very, I'd say, ferociously protective of the things that you let enter your mind share. If you are not protective of your mindset, what enters your consciousness, your ears and eyes and what enters your body, those inputs will have an effect on you. None of us, myself included, are above the level of being influenced by the media we consume, the foods we eat, the people we hang out with. Are they gossips and just talk about shallow things all the time and all they want to do is talk politics and be mad at the world and shake their fist? Or do they talk about ideas? Do they talk about possibilities and hope? And if you're able to curate your environment in such a way that those things become more on the regular, what you find inevitably is, huh, I'm feeling way less stressed these days. Like I you don't have to deal with as much stress because you have been better about protecting your mind share and recognizing that you're not bulletproof and none of this news affects me and I can be totally even keeled. Well, all of us are influenced by it. And all of us are able to fall into anxiety and worry and et cetera, et cetera. And the the recognition that okay, I know these things logically are just responsibilities that I have that make claims on my times so I have to be a good steward of my time energy money etc I can start to think strategically logistically about that and then they trigger me to feel stress because of what and as soon as you start to investigate at, at at that deeper level usually you unearth some of the most profound life lessons and principles that can just really do a fantastic job pushing stress out of the equation and I was reading a, a newsletter recently by James clear and he had a one of the questions he ends it with a question and the question at the end was what were the best five minutes of your day and how could you make it 10 minutes and I looked at that question and I laughed I thought five minutes that's not like yet like what was it like and I, I rewound my day and I thought what was the best five minutes I'm like I can't think of a part of my day I didn't like and I, I didn't it wasn't like yo me I'm amazing it was just like wow what like what a commentary on our culture, that we're struggling trying to eke out five minutes of joy in a day and see if we could double it to 10. Like, what if we thought differently about life? What if we started thinking, what, what would it mean to be grateful for the fact that I wake up in this home with these beautiful kids and with this f- fridge full of food and that I have meaningful work to do, or I have some work to go to for that matter? And to look at um, your life through the lens of gratitude, through the lens of possibility, through the lens of hope that like, I'm not a finished product. I don't know if I'll ever be that way in any area of life, so today I'm going to work up and try a little bit better, you want to push stress out of your body, so that you don't have 10 minutes of hope, or of non-stressed, exciting time in your day, and that most of your day is filled with joy, start peeling back the layers of the onions of those things I talked about, and you're going to find that, shoot, I, I don't get stressed that often, I don't, it's, it's rare that stress will build up, and it becomes this pressure cooker, and I'm not at my best, and it takes, it's like, it's an emotional workout to get there, And it's a commitment to continuing that workout, but it all starts with awareness. If you don't start there you can't look for the trigger, you can't interrupt it. And so you just become blown by the winds of whatever happens to you every day, every week. And the way to break it is awareness. And then it's the willingness to go deeper and look under the surface of what's actually driving me. You start to do that. You break the stress loop and then you're just, you wake up on mission every day.
0: There's this podcast by Sam Led. It's called mm-hmm. the Fearless Now. He actually uses it as two two words. And he was on the show um, or, um, late last year. Mm-hmm. And he was he was misdiagnosed for years, and eventually they diagnosed him with ADHD. And he talks about his experience, but also that we are not. And you mentioned this earlier. We are not what they diagnose us as. So this is mm-hmm. a symptom of other things that are going on. And if you have anyone listening to me who have not subscribed to that podcast, that's an excellent podcast, The Fearless Now, Fearless Now by Samlit. Anyway, he taught me something that I've been doing but didn't really think much into, the quiet time. Hmm. It's when your brain starts to play that game because our brain, our mind is, our bodies are designed to defend us, right, and to protect mm-hmm. us. So when someone does something you don't like, it wants to lash back or or put you in that mode of protecting yourself somehow so you start to think about stories and the brain starts to go left and right all over the place right Mm -hmm. but in the quiet moments when that story is going on when you put yourself in the quiet moments that's when you can relax and remind yourself of who you are that's when the great ideas flow that's when things start to happen is in the quiet moments most of us go from bam to bam to bam to bam like you said most of us can't even think about five minutes, really. That would be the best part of our day, but that's how bad society has gotten I've work with individuals who work for a vacation. Like, you know, they're like, I can't wait to be on my next vacation. And as soon as they get one, two or three days saved up, they go on that vacation. And I've asked them, ask the question, do you spend most of your life working or do you spend most of your life on vacation? You say working. So wouldn't it make sense to... Mm, Try to make that part of your life that you spend most of your life doing more enjoyable than working to go on vacation. And then you okay. get stressed out sometimes if you have kids. So you come back, you need another vacation from your first vacation. So, so why are you working? I'm not saying that I take vacations. We all do, right? But mm-hmm. I don't live on a day-to-day basis for vacation. And that's, mm-hmm. like I said, peeling by the onion. Why is that? What's going on in your life today? That mm-hmm. you, you want to escape so bad. Sit back in the quiet moments. R- subscribe to De- deconstructing conventional and learn these things, because they're a vital part—not just about losing weight. Because you're not talking about weight management. That will happen. That that will happen. That that will happen eventually. But getting yourself healthier, physically, mm-hmm. emotionally, and mentally. Because if you don't have those, what do you really have?
1: Right. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting that your comment about quiet and white space. And what I found is a lot of people are actually terrified of that, or they're yes. very resistant to being alone with their thoughts. And part of the reason that we gravitate toward vacation is, to your point, it's, it's escapism. We're trying to get away from the life that we aren't enjoying that much. And so if I can put myself in this other area, it seems to be fun where I don't have to think, that's even better. And what would it look like to build a life that you don't need to escape from? What would have to change? What would that life look like? It doesn't mean it's going to be an easy flip a switch and now I'm living that life. There's work to do, but it feels really good to be moving toward that life. And if you can, I don't know that you get there without becoming comfortable with quiet, becoming comfortable with having white space in your thinking where you can stare at the wall, you can look at a beautiful sunset and you can just walk and think, and there's a reason some of our best ideas come to us in the shower or when we're driving, Is because usually our hands are busy and our mind is free to wander. And the heart gets a chance to say something and we're falling asleep and it won't let us go to sleep because it's trying to close all these open loops in our head of the problems we've given it to work out. And when you can pack into your schedule somewhere, or maybe pack is the wrong word, you can just joyfully insert white space into your schedule somewhere. And one of the, I, you know, one thing I can attribute to some of the success I've had is I protect thinking time. i a couple hours on, a, on typically a Friday. Nobody can get in my schedule because it's my time to sit and just zoom out and think. And is life going where I want it to be going? Am I working on the projects that are most important? Am I still working on the projects that are most important? Did I do much to move the needle this week? Am I behind? Am I ahead? And it's the ability to step back and think and to plan my life with more effort than I would plan my vacation. And to say, okay, am I on track or not? There's a there's a beauty in being able to go, okay, something's working, or I need to come to Jesus meeting with myself and to make a course correction or pivot or whatever. And the the trick to not being afraid of your thoughts comes back to as much the um, ability, somewhat, we we said earlier, to be able to zoom out and say. If I am uncomfortable with quiet, if my inclination is to always pick up my phone as soon as I have this free second to turn on the news to make sure that there's music on something to just distract me from not thinking, if you can be comfortable saying, I feel a little anxious, I feel a little lonely, I feel a little unsettled, why do I feel that way? And what would it look like to feel differently? Or, or what is the trigger for this emotion that I have? And you, you look under the surface and you find the the two or three raw emotions, and if you keep doing that by yourself all the time, it's hard, but if you have community, if you have an ability to capture on paper some of the thoughts and a trusted sounding board, a psychologically safe space, a spouse, a coach, a pastor, a friend, somebody to walk you through honest moments with yourself, there's so much to be learned, and you'll start to really welcome and want to protect time to think, and you won't have to stay up till one o'clock in the morning to finally get it, if you put it somewhere in your in your weekly rhythm and you say, okay, what would it look like to, to engineer a different life? What emotional things am I tripping over to get there? And what would have to change to do it? Those are some of the best ways to beat stress, to beat the psychological end of it, and I guess bring it full circle. You, you do that, you can get traction with your health. Your your weight loss will become the side effect of the inter, inner work. It's an inside job to lose weight. The outside transformation always lags the inside transformation. When that clicks and you're comfortable with white space, you're on your way.
0: Exactly. You know, I, whatever someone yo-yo diets, you know, especially when we're you know, trying to lose some weight for the summer, you know, in their you know, boy shorts or whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. there's usually usually very similar characteristics for why they're basic characteristics, why they're yo-yo diet. And it goes back to the mind. So that's, Huge. That's really huge. Again. So thank you so much for sharing that. And this is gonna another bridge, right? So we're talking about limits that we place on ourselves, mental Mm -hmm. limits that we place on ourselves, right? So why or how does do psychological and contextual limits harm our ideal lifestyle? And how can we mentally train ourselves to bypass those limits?
1: Um. I I guess where I'd go with that is the recognizing where you want to be going. And, and so that involves some level of having a sense of meaning or purpose behind the actions you take. And so to try to make this practical, it, often we overthink purpose and we have this, you know, like, oh gosh, I got to write my, the script that people are going to say about me at my funeral. That can be helpful. But sometimes we just have to recognize that meaning or that the reason to keep trying or what makes goals worth it is that we matter to at least one person. You will, if you, Daydream about the successful life that you want. I promise you there are people in that equation. It's not you standing alone on the top of a mountain with no one to share the moment with. It's it, and, the, and no one in the world will find out you did it. There are going to be people involved in your vision of a successful life, whether it's a child, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a stadium full of cheering fans or whatever it is. There are people involved in your vision. So who you matter to and in what way you matter to them, for a mom, it's easy to, you know, there's a reason to get up because the kids can't do whatever without you. And, and to feel, we all need to feel needed somewhere. So that's a, the beginning of finding a sense of purpose is if, if you can't, if, you're, if you live alone and you don't have that, plug into a church, volunteer a soup kitchen, find somewhere, there's there's no shortage of human need in the world. And your life and your skills have the opportunity to bless someone, to make their life a little bit easier. And to make them smile or to make their day a little bit better. So if if you're struggling with a sense of purpose, then first is just go matter to someone. Don't make it about you. Just go serve and give and help for the sheer joy that it brings you, not because you're expecting anything in return. Purpose starts to show up when you do that. You you start to find a niche where you matter. And then to, to feel the wind in your sails with some regularity, you just need to start stringing together some small wins. That may be keeping a gratitude journal. That may be just getting up on time five days in a row. And you get to put that check mark on the calendar, but confidence, it really is nothing more than a series of small wins strung together over enough time where you go, you know what? I'm actually pretty good at this. I could, I could keep going. Look at me. I've, I haven't missed a workout all week, all month. I, I only missed 10 workouts all year. And when you start to get little wins, whatever, they can be tiny. The fact that I wrote one sentence, in a journal, or the fact that I um, turned off the TV when I said I was going to, just the the ability to go, I said I was going to do the thing and I did the thing. And I can also say, and I mattered to someone. If you can crack the code on those two things, you can start to feel the confidence and you start to dream bigger. You say, you know, the person, the person who finally runs a 5k, that was this giant goal of theirs. They're like, I wonder if I could run a 10k. I wonder if I could do a half marathon. And it allows you to dream a little bit bigger because you accomplished something small. So start small, start where you are. What one thing do you know inevitably would make your life and your day easier? If you can find something simple, which who of us can't, right? Then you have somewhere to start. And then just make sure that you know this has to be connected to people. Purpose without people in the picture isn't really purpose. It just feels hollow and self-aggrandizing and We it won't leave you fulfilled. So who do you matter to, and what little things can you do to move your life forward, with enough frequency to gain your confidence? You you become unstoppable when you find those things.
0: The moment I decided to start working on to start work working in health Mm -hmm. and also launching the Zuka Health show. I was listening to a podcast and Vishen Lakiani was on there. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Hmm. And uh, he, long story short, he used to work for Microsoft and he had, he was, he was an engineer and he grew up in India and in India, you either are a teacher, engineer, a doctor or you're a failure, which is very similar to Jamaicans, right? So he wanted, he picked engineer because he was, you know, he was good at it, but he didn't like it. He was doing it because his parents liked it. Right. And he hmm. made him look like a good Indian boy. And he quit his job, and he was flat broke. Mm. And today he runs, I believe it's called Mind Valley, one of the largest. Um, um, I don't know exactly what to explain it, but is is very large. He's b- very good at what he does. But he mentioned something on that podcast though that when you do what you love and you're helping people, you're fulfilling your purpose, and you feel different. Mm -hmm. You get up in the the morning fulfilled with joy. You don't have the Monday blues. You you don't hate Mondays. You get to experience a Monday like Mm -hmm. your your whole life is different. And that's happened to me with my show. Mm -hmm. Small things like there are people I'm walking in the street and someone would say, "Nerado, you'd mentioned such and such on your podcast. I saw this on your Instagram." And thank you so much. Or even on my Instagram, people would DM me or you know however or I get. a a review on my on my show on on apple by the way if you love this show go to apple zika health show give your boy a five-star review leave a comment you know i appreciate it i might even read it who knows um (laughs) but but yeah it's 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 a big difference having a purpose and like you said it doesn't have to be a health guru or a podcast or whatever just go to a soup kitchen you know, just knowing that you matter to someone makes such a huge difference for us. And you've given us some golden nuggets. I mean, this episode, we talked about how to recognize what's going on, the root cause, right? We talk about things that we can do to improve on that. And then we even get into the, how the, our thoughts and the things that are going on, how they impact us um, physiologically biologically what's actually going on there so we've unwrapped so much in this episode christian and i definitely want to have you on in the future because this is a fantastic show and with that being said how can my audience get in touch with you
1: sure well thank you for it's been fun being on your show so you could go to uh, a couple of different places you go to truewholehuman.com that's our coaching website you can learn about what we do there's a quiz we put together to help people just understand some of their wiring and some of the typical um, things that people trip over when their their, their personality conflicts with their health goals um, you can also go to my blog which is deconstructingconventional.com uh, the quiz also is on there but um, you could subscribe to our mailing list at the bottom of any blog post and then you just stay abreast of what we're doing and uh, we're working on a, a new program this year called the sovereignty project which is all about just taking back control from the tyrannical um, overlords who want to manipulate us and, and make us do what they want us to do so um to step outside that and feel like we have agency over life again that's kind of what we're going to be about this year
0: thank you so much man I'll, I'll, of course i'll make sure that your contact information is in the um the show notes this one's going to be com slash christian e that's usually the person yeah, and if you,
1: anybody wants to get a hold of me they can just email me christian at true dot com.
0: perfect perfect so thank you so much, Christian. This was a fantastic show. We're going to have to talk more, do some work in the future, get you back on the show again, because you, your work is amazing. I'm glad there are people like you in this world. So thank you very much.
1: <laughs> thank you very much. It's been fun.
0: Thanks for listening to the Zico Health Show. If you got good quality content out of this episode, save, subscribe, and share it out there with family friends co-workers or anybody who needs to hear this information remember always take the scenic route and enjoy the ride